<laughs> We're uh, thankful to have all of you here this morning. Thank you for uh, choosing to be a part of this group of believers that is uh, here to worship um, and here to learn and here to praise our God. Um, if you uh, have anything that you need to share with us as leadership here at New Song, just fill out one of these Connect cards. That's a great way for us to get to know you and um, any information that, uh, that you need to provide. Um, that is right in the seat, uh, seat pocket in front of you. So uh, we'd love to get to know you better. And uh, the Connect card is a great way to do that. So um, if you haven't done one of those already, if you're not in our system, uh, I encourage you to do that. So we had a couple of student ministry overnights on Friday night. Are there any middle schoolers or high schoolers in here? Let me hear you. Okay, they're waving. They're a little pooped, let me tell you, as are we. Boy, I've learned, don't do a student ministry overnight on a weekend where you'll lose an hour of sleep. No way, baby. Oh, yes, look at this. Okay, so this is middle school. Debbie and Mike England, where are you? Give a shout out to those two. They housed middle school. And uh, this is middle school. They blindfolded them and had some fun. Oh, and here's high school girls. They were at our house. And they're eating Peter's famous chocolate chip cookies. They're super good. I'm telling you right now. Got us through quarantine. That's true. Yes. Anyways, we had a great time. Um, oh my gosh, it was a blast. So, um, yeah. And we, I'm and, so tired. <laughs> yeah, Linda's shirt is reflective of uh, the entirety of the weekend. Uh. Anyways, it was super, super fun. And um, we'll be doing things like this throughout the year. And it was great. We had... Some, we did some games. The girls at our house, we did some, a painting game, and um, it was just a lot of fun. We did devotionals uh, at both homes, and it was really good. It's just really a good opportunity to um, you know, kind of get in, into a situation with the, the kids that's different than what we normally do and uh, spend more time you know, getting yeah. to know them. So that was, that was really fun. Yeah. You want to tell us about the student sponsorship? Program? Yeah, I'd love to. Nice segue. <laughs> Uh, he's worried about me. Um, no, this, so if anybody remembers during quarantine, um, we did something called a student sponsorship. And we did it, and it was great. Um, what that was, was we sponsored a student, um, kindergarten through 12th grade, and we would send out notes of encouragement to them over that time, since we weren't seeing them in person. Um, we would also send them like little gifts or things like that. Um, but uh, we are bringing back this Sponsor a Student program. Yes, so for the last nine weeks of their school year, starting April 1st through June 1st, um, any student, K through 12, that is interested in signing up for this will sign up. And then we can all sign up to do this. Um, I would highly encourage all of you to do this. It takes very little time and it is so meaningful to our students. Um, we want to encourage them. So what that means is when you sign up, notice I said when, when you sign up, you will be assigned a student uh, you will also be given cards and postcards that you can mail out on a weekly basis to encourage them um, as they're rounding out the end of the school year. Um, if you wanted to, you know, give them a little extra something, you know, some colored pencils or, you know, whatever for the school year, you can bring those to church on a Sunday morning and leave them at the Welcome Center for your student and we'll make sure that they get them. Um, but the most important piece of this program is prayer. You will be committing to praying also for your student. So um, we just encourage you to do this. Um, there will be signups for this outside this morning. Um, so run after service and sign up. All right. And uh, during the 40 days of Lent, uh, we've been doing some small groups here at church. 
uh, Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Uh, this has been just a great time to gather and uh, understand uh, this period of the church calendar a little bit better. And uh, so I would encourage you to, even if you haven't been participating in that, there's still time. We've got three weeks left. So uh, please come and uh, participate in that. And uh, we'd love to, love to see you for that. Yeah. And that is elementary age through adult. Um, but middle school and high school are doing their own meetings on these nights. So if you have an elementary student, bring them and they'll have a lot of fun. Um, also, we thought we'd mix it up this morning. I'm going to let you know about the next men's gathering. Huh. You know why? Because I'm up here and I can do it. So there you go. So our next men's gathering is going to be on March 19th at the Glendora Marketplace. Uh, you can come. It's just a time of gathering together, hanging out, chatting, getting to know each other. I think guys have gotten to know each other a lot at this, this thing because different guys come different times and it's great. So you can either come and grab some food or coffee there um, or you can bring your own food or you can eat before you come. But go, I will not be there, but <laughs> men will. So come. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, we, uh, we have a mission here at New Song, and that is that we wish to be transformed by the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus, love people, and do good. And that's, that's what we are about right now. That's who New Song is, and that's kind of, that kind of gives us a direction to go. And that involves a lot of different things, but um, in particular, uh, I want to just mention that um, prayer is a big part of what we do here at New Song. If you haven't signed up for, uh, to be on the prayer list, uh, it's really a, a great opportunity. It's, you, you'll receive a text or, and or an email that'll tell you what are the prayer needs that are coming through New Song uh, day in and day out. For me, it's just such a great opportunity when I get a text during the day to just stop for a moment and pray for those things. And it's, a great, it's just a great opportunity to, um, uh, to lift up others that are within this community. Um, if you have a prayer request, if you have something that needs prayer, this card in front of you that says pray, that's a great way for us as a congregation to lift each other up. So I would just encourage you to do that and to sign up for that prayer list if you're not already on it. Um, we want to continue to be praying for Grant and Rana. Um, they're still dealing with family issues. And uh, so uh, just continue to lift them up in, in your prayers. Um, we're holding down the fort while they're gone, um, and uh, this is just an opportunity for them to, uh, to really take care of some things that, that they both need to. So um, just continue to, to be praying for them and their family. Um, and uh, I also just want to encourage you to consider how you can uh, financially participate in what we do here at New Song. Um, there's, a, there's a card in front of you or an envelope in the seat back in front of you that says give. We have multiple ways you can give. That envelope is one way. You can drop it into, one of the, into the box on the wall as you walk out this morning. Um, you can also, uh, there's some electronic ways that you can participate in giving. But I just uh, encourage you to consider um, how you can uh, just be, uh, take part in, in the ministries here at New Song. It's an act of worship. To, to give of what God has blessed you with. Um, we, the scripture talks about that and talks about um, using those financial resources to care for uh, those that are in leadership in our local uh, church body. So um, I just uh, encourage you to, to consider that, if you would. Uh, would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, um, God, we are grateful to you for... Um, the way that you uh, reveal yourself to us. God, the uh, opportunities that we have to connect with you through music, through prayer, through gathering, through reading your scripture and learning, Father, drawing closer to you. God, I thank you for this body of believers. And uh, we're also thankful for Grant, who serves as, as our shepherd uh, and we just pray, God, that you would be um, watching over him and Rana as they are caring for family right now. Um, 
And we know, God, that even as they're doing that, that they are working through their own uh, grief and um, difficulties. So we just pray, God, that you would um, bring peace to them. Father, uh, we pray now that as you, um, as Melody comes up to, uh, to preach, God, that you would uh, just bless her words. I pray that you would give her peace and calm uh, as she um, prepares to share with us what you have laid on her heart. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Melody. Um, thank you. <laughs> I'll try. All right, you go, you go that way, I go this way, okay, yeah. <laughs> You're not the only one who suffers from an hour taking away syndrome. It messes with me later in the week, yeah? Like, I don't know why, like I'm just grumpy and I don't know why, or you know, it's like, why is it still light outside? Oh. But then I'm like, oh, it's so dark out here. <laughs> Anyway, well, good morning. My name is Melody, and I'm just going to make some adjustments here. Um, I am one of the pastors here at New Song, and I'm happy that you're here today. As a parent who had children at both retreats, uh, Josh was at the middle school retreat, and he wants to move in with England. And he's like, Mom, when I picked him up, his first words were, Mom, I want to live here. And I said, oh, hi, son. A warm hug. And then Kaylee came home all, she was very possessive of her chocolate chip cookies, you know, and then she's like, but they're mine and Peter made them for us. I don't want to share. Um, but they came home all fresh faced because I heard there was facials. I heard the boys even had facials at the junior high level. Um, so as a parent who had children in both of these retreats, would you give them a very big round of applause? Yeah, and as you will see in a moment, I'm going to use you in my sermon also. <laughs> I like when that happens, when you guys provide me with illustrations, that's my favorite part. So, um, Okay, let's get this sermon started. So we continue in our sermon series that is titled Spoiler Alert, and we are making our journey to the cross in this season, and we're asking the question, where is God in our stories? And we're looking at different characters in the Bible and where God was in their stories. And if you were here last week or you listened online, uh, we talked about the story of Esther, and we learned about a holiday called Purim. Who got a Purim cookie? Some of you? Who didn't? Okay, half of you, yeah. So I'm gonna make more for next Soup Sunday, okay? So make sure you're here on the following Soup Sunday, you're gonna get one. Uh, but we looked at the book of Esther and uh, we looked at that at the beginning of Esther, her name is actually not even mentioned. She's nowhere near the beginning of this book. She's nowhere in the stories. And, you know, we looked at a famous kind of tagline, a famous tagline for the story of Esther that says, oh, but God's fingerprints were everywhere and God's hand was everywhere. And, well, we looked at what that actually meant. And so we could see that God did have his hand in moving people out of place, into place, moving people away, whatnot. So his name was indeed everywhere. And in today's story, the story of Moses, we're going to see quite the opposite, Moses, uh, God's name in Moses' story is everywhere. He is everywhere. Um, he has conversations with Moses. He appears. So we're going to look at that. So let's take a look. Um, I am going to have two big, strong, burly men, uh, Chris and Mark. You are my nominated strong, burly men this morning. Give them a round of applause. This thing is too high for me. I don't know what's going on. They are going to move some props into place for me. So very carefully watch your step behind you there, darling. Perfect. Um, today, I'm going to look at the story of Moses with some help of some visuals just right in front of me. There you go. Perfect, perfect. And um, as I reveal them, you might instantly know what I'm about to talk about. You might instantly recognize um, the visual and what I'm going to talk about. So you may or you may not. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, a little bit of mystery there. 
All right, now these, again, just thank you so much, gentlemen. Uh, these are, again, creative representations. I took full creative liberty. No one called me later and say, that wasn't accurate, because I know, okay? And I'm also jumping through the story quite a bit, so um, just try to follow me along. So I'm going to start over here with our first visual. So um, here in the story of... Moses, we are going to look at the story of, can you guys see over there? The parting sea. So the vase here represents the parting sea, but it doesn't really look like a sea yet, so I'm going to do this. Does it look more sea-like? Look at that blue sea. All right. So we're looking at the parting of the sea. In popular culture, would you say that this is a very, very famous... I'm going to fall off the stage now. It's always my worst fear. This is a very famous part of the story, the parting of the Red Sea. Now, I have these Lego guys here that represent the nation of Israel. Okay? These guys represent the nation of Israel. Mickey Mouse is also represented right here in the middle. And... I have stormtroopers that represent the bad guys. And Moses is right here in the front with his staff. Okay? So I think it's like Gandalf or something. Who is this guy? Is it Obi-Wan Kenobi? It's George Lucas. Okay? But he's going to be Moses. That's quite appropriate, actually. Okay, so let's read. Okay? Um, so Exodus 12, 31, Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron in the night. He said, now what's going on here? Pharaoh's army, the bad guys right here. Oops, there goes one. Well, he's about to die anyway, so it's okay. Um, Pharaoh, the bad guy here, um, are running after the nation of the Israelites. Okay. They're crossing the sea because after a ton of back and forth of the story, after a ton of back and forth in the story and the, and the plagues and this and this and that, what happens? Pharaoh finally, after losing his firstborn son, says, go, get out. I don't want to see you anymore. So he tells his, his, his he, it says here, Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron to, uh, during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. So they get up to leave. In chapter 14, it says, when word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites have fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israel, Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed the chariots and called up his troops, and they go after him. Okay, so they're all running. Moses is right here leading the charge. That's why he was in front. Okay. Um, when the Israelites had reached the other side, so they're over here now. When the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea and the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians with their chariots. Okay. Ah! They're all gone. Okay. So when the people here... When the people saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him, these people. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. So we started with a really popular part of the story here that's been portrayed in movies. You've seen it maybe, perhaps. You've heard of it, perhaps. But here's a popular part, and we're going to work our way backwards here. So before they even got to Egypt, actually, Moses almost died on his way there. I don't know if you know this part of the story. It says in chapter 4, verse 20, So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. So again, we're working our way backwards, okay? So we're going back in time. So what did it just say? Moses took his wife and his two sons with him to Egypt. So this is a very, very, very creative representation of this story. Can you see? Mrs. Moses, Mr. Moses, they're two sons, okay? That's actually two pictures of Joshua. 
but we'll pretend it's two sons. So this very handsome couple, right, they uh, and their sons, they went out and we encounter some of the strangest verses in the Old Testament that we can actually gloss over here, but Moses actually almost dies here. It says in 424, on the way to Egypt at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' Moses's wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of, of blood to me. What, what does that even mean? What just happened there? Well, yeah, ouch. Um, well, to briefly, briefly put it, God had a covenant God had a contract, so to speak, with the Hebrew people. And that contract included that Hebrew boys, Hebrew men, were supposed to be circumcised. This is a whole other topic, and we're not even going to touch it right now. But um, Moses basically did not want to do this to his son. And he thought, you know what? God's sending me to do a really big thing here, so I'm just going to skip this teeny-weeny part, okay? And I I didn't say that on purpose. Sorry, I'm going to blush. So he thought God would not notice this tiny thing that he skipped over, all right? But indeed, God did take notice. Half of you in here are like, oh my gosh, Melody, what's happening? Thank you, thank you, thank you. So God did take notice, and he was about to die. But his wife went and made it right, so... He didn't die. Okay, let's go backwards. So we have the parting of the Red Sea. Moses almost died. What happened before that? Moses gets called, right? Moses gets called to speak. But he says, I am not a good speaker in front of people. I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. I'm not going to do it. I only do that on Thursday when we have the Thursday Connect. Sometimes when the kids get out of line, I'm like, come on, take up your trash. You know what my line is? You don't want me to trash talk you, so pick up your trash. I'm just kidding. Not really. I say it in the nicest way, then I'm like, hey, come to New Song, we're great. Okay, so um, he said, uh, before that, he, Moses did not want to do any of this. He said, I don't want to lead. Pick anybody else. God said, no, you, Moses. He still fights back. He said, not me. Pick my brother. He's the better speaker. He's the one who can make speeches. He knows what he's doing. Let's look at verse 410 here. It says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh, Lord, I am not good with words. I have never been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Well, later on, God says, he's really mad, but he says, Aaron will be your spokesman to the people, his brother Aaron. And he says, he will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. So that's how Moses will speak to the people. Let's move on to this table. All right, you probably will recognize this visual. What do you think I'm going to talk about here? The burning bush. Chris is like, please don't light that on fire. I'll try. Uh, Well, the burning bush, yes. This is where an angel of the Lord appeared, and the Lord said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. He said, here I am. Well, why was Moses even near a bush? How was he there? How was he on a mountain? Why Why was he there? What was he doing? Well, he was tending a flock. He was a shepherd at the time. And how did his career even start like he was even, you know, further back in this story, he was the prince of it. How did he end up here by a bush on a mountain? Well, it all started because of a girl, okay? Because of a girl. Let's read in two, chapter 2, verse 15. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well Now the priest of Midian, who's kind of like the leader of the tribe here, had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill their water troughs for their father's flock. But some other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and rescued the girls from the shepherd. 
he also drew water for their flocks. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked, why are you back so soon? In time, Raul gave Moses his daughter, Sipporah, to be his wife. So can you imagine? Why are you back so soon? What? Oh, because Moses, the shepherd. Oh, and Moses, and Moses, and Moses. So that's what happened. So from here came Mr. and Mrs. Moses, okay? Uh, I keep saying that way. I'm going backwards in the story. You're following me, right? Are we going? Are we going? So we got the Red Sea, right? The big part of the story, one of the big parts. We got he almost died on the way there. He didn't want to speak, but God said, Moses, I'll give you your brother. We're at the burning bush where he was called. And why he was there? Because he married a girl and he was tending flock for his father-in-law. Okay, so we're almost there. And now here... We are going to go all the way back to Egypt before Moses fled. And that, again, we can't go into all the details, but Moses fled from Egypt because he murdered somebody. So that's kind of a part we're not really going into today, but we're looking at the timeline here. So Moses grew up as a prince of Egypt where he learned, he was trained, he was taught. There were several things that went into Moses' for 40 years. He was adopted by one of Pharaoh's daughters here. In verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, it said, Later, when the boy was older, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she said, I lifted him out of the water. So last week, do you remember how I said sometimes time lapses in the Bible aren't super clear? Well, between verse 10 and verse 11, there's 40 years. <laughs> like last time, at least it was a chapter. This time it was 40 years between two verses. And what, who did we use to help us last week? SpongeBob. Everybody say it with me. 40 years later. Okay, so Moses spent 40 years... Uh, in training, in education, and before he got to his calling, he was a prince of Egypt, learning and being trained. And that brings us to our last visual, which is a baby in a basket. And that's where Moses' story gets started. Let's read about it. The Israelites had many children and grandchildren, in fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look at the number of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. Then Pharaoh gave an order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River but you may let the girls live. So what happened here? Well, let me explain it a little more. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She put the baby in a basket and laid it among the reeds along the Nile River. And here's Moses' origin story. So this is a big, big story, would you say? We just worked our way backwards. We, we you know, kind of saw where he began, right? It's incredible. What a big story. Would you say amen to that? Amen. Yes? Well, and we can look at the story of Moses and we can say, yeah, there's, there's, sure, there's a lot of ways we identify with him. You know, I've done a lot of training in my time and I've learned a lot of things, but I was completely called to something else. We could say, no, I actually didn't want to do what I'm doing. I wanted anyone else to do it. I didn't want that. Um, but we could say, you know, no, God, please, something else. I don't want to do this. And I've seen God's hand in big things in my life, but I've never done something this big, okay, so big. And so I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like, well, I'm not, I'm not Billy Graham, I'm not Beth Moore, I'm not like a big social media influencer that, you know, has something to say across the country, across, across the nation, right? It's, it's easy to compare ourselves to big stories like Moses and say, well, I'm, I'm not exactly going to go to the sea and part it, or I don't, I don't have people 
following my lead and I'm going to free them. We could easily look at Moses' story and be like, that's a great big story, but that's not my story, right? We can say that. So I want to retell you this story, but I want to take the, the focus off of Moses and tell you the story of those around him. Let's look at it again, starting at the basket. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus and, and papyrus reeds and waterproofed it. Moses' mom here was used in his story. Let's move on. The, baby sister, the baby's sister stood at a distance watching to see what would happen. And if you know the story, you know the sister ran right up to the Pharaoh's daughter in a moment here. Let's look at that. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying. She felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. And that's where she adopted Moses. He became a prince of Egypt. He had his 40 years there. She was used in God's story. And we're back at the why he was in, in, in the desert with the burning bush. An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. Then where is he, the father asked. Why did you leave him there? Invite him to come and eat with us. Moses accepted the invitation, settled there with him. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, and saw a burning bush. So Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was used in the story. And remember how Moses would get tongue-tied here and didn't want to be the speaker? Well, let's look at verse uh, chapter 414. All right, this is God talking. He said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with both of you as you speak. And I will instruct both of you in what you do. So Aaron here is being used in the story of Moses. Well, we're back to Mr. and Mrs. Moses here, okay? Verse 24, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But who? Moses' wife, Sipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. Zipporah here was used in the story. She saved her husband's life here. And lastly, here where we began today, 12, chapter 12, verse 31, Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Verse 37, that night the people of Israel left Ramses and started for Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men plus all the women and the children. So 600,000 men plus all the women and the children were used here in the story of Moses. So they were not just used in the story of Moses here. This is not just the story of Moses. This is all these people's stories along the way. This is all of their, their stories. Now he may take center stage here. He may be right there and, and you hear his name and you hear his name and you, we, yes, we get a lot of details that surround him. But he wouldn't have been able to do this with all, without all the other people in his life. Do you realize that? He wouldn't have been able to do all of this. He needed people who protected him, people who taught him. He needed people that gave him a chance. He needed people to encourage him, to help him speak. He needed uh, a partner. He needed people to save him. He even needed people who frustrated him, 
who frustrated him and, you know, who, um, who played significant roles. Now, I already told you that I don't have a story like this. I don't have a story like the story of Moses, but I have a few stories. So <clears throat> I can tell you some of them. From the day I entered this world on February 18th, which you still have chance to give me a belated birthday gift, okay? There's still time. Uh, from the day I entered the world, um, as joyful as that day was for the world and all around, uh, and as immediately cute as I was, right? Um, my parents cried many, many tears on the day I was born. You see, in the process of being born, the doctor injured me um, quite a bit. He pulled on me a little too hard and he damaged all the nerves in my left shoulder here. And when I was born, my left arm came out limp, completely limp. My parents were distraught. I was expected to grow up with a limp arm. And I'm sure you've seen people here or there who have that. Um, my arm was supposed to just shrivel up and not be used at all. Now, <clears throat> for six months with my limp arm, my mom and my dad, but mostly my mom because my dad worked three jobs at the time and was trying to take care of his family, but mostly my mom, um, she would do physical exercises with me every day. She said she would pin my arm with a little pin, you know, a little safety pin, so that I had it on my chest sometimes, and she'd pin my arm to my little um, diaper. And on the six-month mark, I moved my arm. Six-month mark. Now, she ran to get the camera and left me on a table. <coughs> That's super safe, Mom. Um, but little by little, little by little, I began movement and more movement. And you wouldn't know it if I didn't tell you, but I have damage that is irreparable to my arm. So if you look at me closely, that's why my hair is pinned up today, you can see that my left shoulder just slouches off to the side. You see that? If I extend my arms, my left arm doesn't extend fully. There's, my, my nerves are in a knot up here, and it doesn't allow me to extend my arm. I've never been able to do a pull-up or a push-up properly, which I'm not too sad about, <laughs> but, you know, didn't work super well for me in gym. When people are high-fiving you, you know, they're like, high-five, and I'm like, oh, right here, because I can't do it. This is as far up as my arm goes. I can't do it. But let me tell you, let me tell you that as much as I have those physical limitations, as much as I have those things that are sometimes painful, and, my, and it's actually quite weak, quite weak. You might see me lifting something or whatever, but it's really my right, don't get in a fight with my right arm, okay? Because that's my, that's, my, that's my powerhouse right there. But I stand in front of you today and I speak with my hands. I can lift boxes in the pantry I could hold two babies that were given to me at once when I had my twins. Let me tell you, carrying those car seats, right? Right? So every time it hurts, I remember my mom's part in my story. Every time I'm able to do something that I might not have been able to do with one arm, I remember my mom's part in my story. Someone else who had a significant part of my story is my abuela, my grandmother. Now, of course, you know, my abuela was around when I was growing up, and that's my 25th birthday right there. I threw myself a big party. I was super single and just ready to stay that way. And I was like, I'm going to throw myself a really big party because I have money and I'm single, and why not? Then Chris came along and messed all that up. <laughs> Okay, he was like, I told a good story about him last week. Um, all right, so my abuela was around my whole life, but I think the most impactful time I had with her was um, they didn't live far from the city college I was attending at the time, Pasadena City College, right here. Then Cal State, uh-huh. 
Anyway, but um, they lived right near the college, and during my breaks, I would walk to their house, because it was way too complicated to find parking again. I would walk to their house, and she would wait for me with an apple and a muffin. And no matter what she did, if it was her busiest day or she had nothing going on, she sat down with me, and she paid attention to me. She only gave me advice when I asked for it. She was a listening ear when I needed to cry about something or when I needed to complain about my mom or my dad because as much as they're wonderful, it's also my mom and my dad and incredibly frustrating at times. So she was there for me. She taught me, she taught me in many ways what it was like to be present with somebody. I could tell you about people who have frustrated me in my life. When I first started working in social work, when I went into the field, I was a part of a team that took phone calls, emergency phone calls, um, from uh, the police station or the county, wherever they were coming from. And I was part of a team that took calls when the children were needing to be placed in a foster home. And those calls were intense, and you needed to pay attention to details, and you needed to ask specific questions. You needed to be able to multitask. You had to be able to keep your cool, no matter what you heard, which sometimes was terrible, no matter what you thought, because sometimes it was unbearable, but no matter what, you had to be able to keep your cool. And I shared a tiny, teeny, tiny office with a lady who got under my skin in all sorts of ways for two whole years. We were so opposite on everything we did. I was super orderly, she was super not. I was, you know, I'm, I, I can talk to you, but I don't, I don't wanna talk the whole day. Like, can we just shh, be quiet sometimes, you know? She wanted to talk all the time. But as much as we were different, I learned a lot of skills from her. I learned a lot of skills from her. The multitasking skills, the juggling the many components and keeping it together for the sake of a child, she taught me that. And I could go on and on about the many ways people have been a part of my story, how you have been a part of my story. I could keep going here. Can you think of people? Can you think of people in your life who have been perhaps a significant part of your story? or perhaps people that have been a constant presence and a part of your story? Can you think of people? I bet Moses uh, could if, he, if we were to ask him this question that we just highlighted. If we would say, can you think of people? I bet he would have gone down the line as we just did, down the timeline. But here's what I want to tell you today. As much as they were a part of his story, he was a part of their story. He was a part of their story. He was a part of his mom's story here, his sister's story who watched him go down that stream, Pharaoh's daughter, his father-in-law. They all had stories, their stories, and Moses was a part of their stories, and he was a part of them. I shared with you about my mom, my abuela, the lady I worked with. As much as they are a part of my story, I'm a part of them. I wonder what my coworker says these days. Oh, this girl. I don't know. I bet she remembers me, though. My abuela's gone. She's not in this world anymore. But I wonder what she got to heaven and started talking about. I sure hope it was me at some point. I, I don't know. We'll see. So what story are you a part of? Who do you have a connection with? What influence do you have? Where do you work? What do you do? Do you go to school? Do you go to a book club? Do you, what do you do? Who are the people you have influence over? Whose story are you a part of? Whose story are you a part of? And how can you be useful to fulfill God's purpose as a part of their story? How can you be used by God? Does that mean you offer someone encouragement? 
Does that mean you have to protect somebody? Does that mean you teach somebody something? Does that mean you, you host somebody? Maybe not in your house or on your plot of land, but does that mean you host a lunch? Does that mean, what does that mean? How are you a part of someone's story? I think it means just be present. Just be present. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm going to have the band come up while I explain this. We started off this Lent series. We started off this Lent series, and the first week we said, hey, here's a list of words. What is a word that stands out to you? What is a word that stands out to you, and how do you see God in that word or through that word? Write that word down. Think about that. Week two, we said, do you think God can meet you there? Wherever it is, whether you picked depressed or whether you picked happy, whether you felt isolated or whether you felt joyful, whatever the word was, do you think God can meet you there? And the answer was yes. Yes. And this week, this week, the question is, who is in my life? How am I a part of their story? So take the focus off you. We took the focus off Moses. Moses, yes, big part of the story. You, yes, big part of your story. But whose story are you a part of? Now, if you feel like these are big questions and you have no idea and you need a second to sit down and think about it, you know, I can tell you right home that you don't need to go home and make a chart, okay? Who am I connected with on Monday? Who am I connected with on Tuesday? No, you don't have to do that. <clears throat> but I think, again, the key to this question is be present. What is it that you do? What is it that you do? Be present. That's it. Trust God. Trust God that he is going to take an interest in those around you, and he's asking you to be fully present. Not just halfway, not just halfway. You know you can always half listen to somebody. Someone's talking and you're like, okay, 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 but I really gotta go. I do it to my kids all the time. Fully present to them. What does that look like? Not just halfway, not just because you have to be there, you have to be in some meeting, or you have to go to this coffee date with a friend because, you know, you canceled three times or whatever. Be fully present. Just be present. And not because you're wanting to force some sort of result. Oh, Melody said I'd be fully present, so I'm going to sit here until something happens. That's not what I mean. You can try, but that's not what I mean. I mean, trust God, be present, and I'm going to tell you how to start. Now, if you have been here these last few weeks, you should have a booklet. If you don't have one, we'll get you one, okay? But what you should have received here is a page like this. Who needs one? Raise your hand. All right, we got some here. Where's Pete and Kelly? There you go. Keep your hand up in the air. Keep your hand up in the air. They're going to bring it around to you. So I'm going to have you look at that page. Look at that page that's in front of you, and if you want, grab a pen. And here is where you start. Look around you. So in my first box, I put my family. She's coming. Chris, could you help Kelly? There's... I put my family, and I didn't write my family. I wrote them down by name. Chris, Kaylee, Joshua, Abby, Claire. I wrote them down by name. In the next box, another place that I am, another place that I'm called to be fully present, my work. But I didn't write down my work. I put Justin, Linda, Nancy, Marissa, Electra, Grant. Those are my coworkers. In the next box, 
I didn't write my namers. I wrote Yvonne, George, Mark, guy with the mean white dog. <laughs> because the dog is mean, but he's nice. But I've kind of avoided talking to him because his dog's so mean. That dog needs training, by the way. You know who else are on here? My dog trainers. Frank, Kyle, and Blake. I, we intersect with them every week now, sometimes multiple times a week. I, I believe God is doing something in there. What? I don't know. I don't want to creep them out and be like, come over, come over, come over. I'm just going to pray that God opens the door for whatever God is doing in their story. How can I be a part of it? How can I be a part of that? I have my daughter's friends, I have their moms on there. I have Anna and Carol and Candy, and I'm seeing them a lot lately because, man, 15-year-old girls are busy. I don't remember being that busy. But I have their names on here because we've been going to birthday parties and this and that, and it's Kaylee's 15th birthday on Wednesday if you want to say happy birthday. She's around somewhere. But I have her friend's mom's name on here because they're, they're, I'm around them. They're people that I might have something to do with their story. Now you look at um, my list here. I also have small group people and I put on that one I did see, see attach list. So there's a lot of names on that. And you might look at my list and think, my goodness, Melody, how are you a part of all those stories? How, how are you going to get around to everyone in that story? How do you expect to make an impact? And my answer to you would be, I don't expect to make an impact. I expect God to make an impact. Yes. It's not about me. It's about what God does through me and through just being present. Just being present. Like Moses said, here I am. Here I am. He will do the rest. Youth group houses, Debbie and Mike, Linda and Peter, you guys said, here's our house. Use it. You, you facilitated connections between you and them and each other. I've told this to, you know, people who are volunteering in the youth group and people who are hosting and whatnot, like, what more do I want than to have other good adults in my children's lives? What more do I want? Paul and Regine, you guys, the Webbers back there, there's been so many people that have participated in the youth group in the last month. I love it because they're, they're making connections. They're just showing up and being present. But what happens, the biggest way we miss this is because we think, like Moses did, I'm not qualified. I'm, I'm not adequate enough. I'm not, I don't, I don't know how to do that. This isn't the slightest bit sounds like anything I want to do. We need more training, we need more information, we need more experience, and we use excuse after excuse after excuse to not do something, to not show up, to not be present. Well, what did I just say? It's not about you. It's about what God can do through you. That's what it is. Because fear like that, fear that sounds like excuses, will minimize what God, the power of God in our lives. And I don't want to do that. We don't want to minimize what God can do. God wants us to be present. He wants us to participate. He wants us in his purpose. And he will accomplish his plans. And he, you know what? Like we saw in the book of Esther. Esther, if it doesn't come through you, salvation will come to the Israelites some other way. So God's purpose and plan will ultimately prevail, but he wants to use you. He wants to use me. I'm going to have Mark and Chris help me with the tables one more time here. We're going to go to communion now.
oh, that's where they're going with the tables. That's not helpful. We're going to do communion now. And I know sometimes even people, oh, don't worry, Grace, I'll wash them. I got a new washer and dryer, right? Got to do something with it. Come to my house. Let's, let's wash all the stuff. Communion sometimes. We sometimes look at communion and we think, I'm not worthy. What? Where'd you get that idea? Oh, I sin. So does everybody else. Oh, I can't because I haven't cleared my conscience. I haven't talked to the person I need to talk to. I haven't. It's not about you. It's about God and what he's promised to you. It's about Jesus who came and said, I am the life. I am the way. I will break my body for you. I will bleed for you. Communion is not about you and everything you have done or not done. Communion is about Jesus. Will you hold it and we'll take it together in a moment. I'm going to have Scott and Chris up there and Mark and I will be up here. My bread fell a little bit, and it dipped in the juice. And, uh, but it goes hand in hand, right? His body broken, his blood spilled. Just like our stories, they go hand in hand. Whoever is in your life, whoever is, is present there, you are present for them, they are present for you. It's not about you. It's about this promise. And it's about this, what was done 
for all of us, for the people we love that has had some sort of influence on us, for the people we've had influence on, for the people that frustrate us, for each and every one, God did this. Let's take the bread. Hand in hand, let's take the cup. We're about to sing a song that says, <clears throat> I'm not a slave to fear, because whose child am I? I am a child of God. Who's, who do you need to be present for? Are you fearful of something? Is it that coffee date that you've been putting off? Is it that meeting that you have to have? Is it, what is it? Is it the neighbor with the mean dog that you have to talk to? <clears throat> Let's not use fear as an excuse to limit God's work. Let's be present. That's all that needs to happen for God to be in the story. Let's sing.